Amen. Thanks, sis. Appreciate you leading us in a time of communion. Sometimes it just hits me when I'm sitting over there getting ready to preach. I cannot believe I get to do this. I cannot believe people pay me to preach the Word of God. If you have your Bibles open to Mark chapter 1, I got some fresh bread for you this morning. Are y'all hungry? Are you you hungry online? I hope you are. Listen, uh, Team Leesman in Memphis, Tennessee, Sharon from Hammond, Indiana, Biotech Teach One from Decatur, Illinois, and John from Emporia, Kansas, God bless you, and everybody watching online today, hey, we're glad that you're watching online, but as soon as you can, get back with us. It's Christmas season, and God's doing something special as we worship Him together in company. So we're so glad that you're here today, no matter who you are, no matter what's going on. It's important that we get together on the Lord's Day. It's important that we gather and encourage one another, especially when it comes to the topic we're going to look at today when we get to Mark chapter 1. But before we get to the scripture today, I just want to celebrate um, because sometimes we, we, God does such amazing stuff that we move on too fast. And so I just want to stop and celebrate. Last Sunday was a baptism Sunday. We baptized 35 people in four different services last week. All of them amazing stories of faith and life change. I'm so excited. And remember last week I shared with you that we were going to baptize a couple in in Florida. And so I just, I just, I I had to share it with you. You guys got to see this. We got a little video clip. It's, you know, it's the best video and audio we can come up with. But just take a look at this. We will show you. Um, Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? I do. Do you believe that He is your Lord and Savior? I do. That is awesome. Ready? I'm ready. Okay, here we All go. All right, ready? <laughs> yes. Believe that Jesus Christ, Son of God, is your Lord and Savior. Awesome. So, ready? Yep. Here we go. All right, here we go. I love it. I love it. Isn't it amazing? And listen, if you're, stu- if you're watching us this week, Christy and Trace, uh, we're glad that you're a part of the Eastview family. And, and I just got to take this moment. If you're watching online or you're here and you're like, ah, I missed it. No, we baptize people all the time. We're baptizing people again today. And if you need to take that step of faith, we want to, we want to help you in that journey. So whether you're here or online, text hello to any uh, anytime during this uh, service during that, to that uh, number on the screen. Easy for me to say. And uh, anyway, text hello. And we'll pray with you, we'll get with you, we'll help you on your journey of Jesus Christ. No matter who you are today, no matter who you are, Jesus loves you, and we want to connect you with him. That's the reality, all right? And so, what a great day of baptisms. And... um, and it's just one of those mountaintop experiences, especially if you're a pastor, or if you're somebody who's prayed for someone to be baptized. And, and after a week of baptisms and such great victory in Jesus Christ, now what? Where we head after the baptisms? Where are we going from here? Well, as we continue to follow Jesus in Mark chapter 1, after his sky-splitting, God-testifying, spirit-filling baptism and our incredible mountaintop experience last week, we're ready to change the world, Right? Yes, we are. But there's one other beginning that we got to go to. We got to follow our Lord into the desert. And that's where we find him in Mark chapter 1. Again, Mark's very brief record for us. Two verses will be our teaching for today, and we'll expand, expand from there. But here's the word of the Lord. Here's what you need to know, inspired by the Holy Spirit, life-changing words about Jesus, our Savior. Mark 1, 12. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. 
Let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us uh, in this moment, in this place, wherever you're at. God, would you come now and through uh, just the power that only you have, will you take the words that I will say that will be imperfect and would you translate them through your word, the Bible, and your living word, Jesus, into every heart and mind. Lord, open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear. We want to know you more. And God, I I pray this like I do every time I preach. I pray that someone today who is lost and doesn't have Jesus as their Lord and Savior through the encouragement of his victory will come to faith in Jesus Christ. God, would you do that? Because I can't and we can't. But Lord, you can. So Lord, we're asking now for a miraculous, supernatural, cosmic revelation of the God of the universe as we open up your word. Would you do that now? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as usual, and I hope you've gotten used to this by now, Mark takes some like super Jesus experiences and condenses them down into two verses. Mark, remember, is in a hurry. And if if you've been following along this entire series, we're back at that word again immediately, immediately, at once. Because it's like he's just given us this breathless story of the good news of Jesus Christ. And you've heard people tell stories like this. He's like, and then John the Baptist, and then Jesus is baptized, and then a dove, and then the sky splits over, and then God, this is my son. And then we go to the desert. We go to the wilderness here. We're going to be tempted. And, and um, Mark just tells it in two short verses. But here's what you need to know today, and here's what's, what I have in your notes. Since Jesus is the person we're following, since we are followers of Christ, if Jesus goes to the wilderness, guess what? We have to go to the wilderness too. So here's where I want to start. We all find ourselves in the wilderness of temptation. All of us do. We're, we're not better than Jesus. We're driven to the wilderness Scholars aren't exactly sure where this wilderness is, but I can tell you from being to the Holy Land several times, there's lots of dusty, sandy-colored, rocky mountains where you could go and be lost for 40 days. Jesus goes into the wilderness. Actually, there's a a Greek Orthodox monastery uh, not too far from Jericho that they claim this is where Jesus was tempted. We don't know. But what we do know is that Jesus went into the wilderness. He went away from people. He went away from the cities, and he had some time alone. Now, this is spiritually significant. If you guys are Bible scholars, I'm going to give you a bunch of stuff today that you can just kind of, you know, revel in and go, God's so awesome. I I love this kind of stuff. Moses, he went into the wilderness for 40 days and fasted 40 days as well. Moses, the lawgiver, you can see that in Exodus 24. Elijah, the prophet, he went to the same mountain in the wilderness and for 40 days was alone and he fasted and God spoke to him in a uh, supernatural way. And now Jesus, who is the fulfillment of Moses' law and the fulfillment of Elijah and the prophets, the fulfillment of law and the prophets, he also is 40 days in the wilderness fasting. Now Mark doesn't tell us that Jesus fasts. He just gives us this crazy out there. Nobody else says this. Only Mark says this. He goes, there were wild animals. That's enough for me, y'all. Snakes and stuff, lizards, wild animals. You know, I'm not a pet person. I'm not a wild animal person either. I don't want to be out. Why did he include this weird, this is a weird detail out of all the things he could have said. Hey, there were wild animals. I think he's trying to paint for us the picture that in, in his human form, it was scary and it was lonely for Jesus to be there for 40 days by himself. This is not the sermon. This is extra. But if you follow Jesus, there are going to be scary wilderness times. That's what I get from the wild animals. 
But, but that's not the most scary thing in the wilderness. See, what Mark says is that he was tempted by Satan. The most scary thing in the wilderness was Satan. Mark just tells us that he was tempted by Satan. Matthew and Luke and Matthew 4 and Luke chapter 4 give us the details about the specific temptations which we're going to look at in just a moment. But, but you ask yourself this, this question, where did Satan come from? Why is there a Satan? Why, why do we have to deal with this evil dude? What, what happened that he's, he's in our story? Well, Revelation 12, 9 gives us some insight into who he is. In eternity past, he was one of the, the angels, and there was a heavenly power struggle in which Satan lost. And here's what it says in Revelation 12, 9. The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. Not the most uh, flattering profile on your social media, right? He is the devil. He is the Satan. He is the dragon. He is the deceiver of the whole world. Let's look at those names that we find in Revelation together. There are two Greek names for Satan or the devil. Satan, Satanos. It literally means adversary. If you want to understand about Satan, when you hear the word Satan, he's against. He's against everything. He's against you. He's against God. He's against Michael in heaven. That's how this whole war took place. I'm not only a creation of God, the angel of God. I've decided I'm against God. And if he's against God, he's against you. And if God comes in the flesh, then he's against Jesus. That's why he's out there. His other name gives us insight too. Devil, diabolos, is the, the we, get, we get the word diabolic, diabolical from that, right? Uh, or, or Diablo, uh, you know, Mexican food. It means it's going to be hot. Anyway, uh, or accusatory food. I don't know. I just saw the word Diablo and said, I love hot Mexican food. I don't know. That, but, anyway. Devil means accuser. So, so you put these two things together and you understand why he's out in the wilderness trying to tempt Jesus and why he's tempting us. Because he doesn't like us. He's against us. He hates us. He's not for us. We sing that God is for us. The, the devil is against us and he is an accuser. One of his biggest tricks is that he tries to accuse us of things that God doesn't want us to hold on to. And so since Jesus was human... Satan takes the advantage of him being in the human nature. Remember, Jesus is fully God and fully human, but he's fully human. So all the human stuff that you and I deal with, Jesus dealt with. The Bible tells us that he was tempted in every way that we were, but yet was without sin. Let me tell you the three wildernesses that you find yourself in today, even if you haven't uh, identified them. They're the same. They're the same ones. All human flesh lands in these three places. The wilderness of... Um, Appetite, the wilderness of pride, the wilderness of wanting power. Those are the three. Appetite, pride, and I want to be in charge. In fact, nothing's changed since the very first human beings came to the earth. Satan said, oh, there's humans down there. I know where to get them. I'll appeal to their appetite. And you go back to the Genesis 3 story and you find that, that Eve saw that the, the forbidden fruit look, it was good for food and it was pleasing to the eyes. She's being drawn in by the appetite. It's human. In the same way, we find, uh, and we'll talk about Matthew and John 4, they give us these details. After Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, Satan says, I bet you're hungry. Why not make yourself some bread out of these stones? He's appealing to his desire to fulfill and meet his appetite. In the garden, pride was a thing. 
The deceiver said to Eve, you know what? Did God really say you can't have any fruit? He's got all these awesome trees here, this great, did God really, is he trying to keep something from you? You deserve all the fruit. What is God trying to do? It's appealing to Eve and Adam, their pride. Yeah, I do deserve all the fruit. Why is God keeping this from me? Same thing in the, in the, the temptation of the wilderness. He says, Jesus, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from the, the pinnacle of the temple. This could either be a 30-foot high part of the temple that was the temple structure itself or the complex that Herod made that could have been 40 or 50 feet high to jump into some sensational reality. If you throw yourself down, the angels will save you in spectacular fashion. The Bible says so. And so Jesus' temptation there is, well, that would be, I would be pretty famous if I just jumped off the temple and then didn't die. I mean, that would, TikTok alone would make me just incredibly famous. 15 seconds of that video. But pride, appetite, and a desire for power in the garden, the lie was you won't die. You'll be like God's knowing good and evil. In the wilderness, the offer was, if you worship me, you'll rule over all the kingdoms of the world. What is my point? The point is that the flesh and blood that you live in right now, no matter who you are, you have an appetite. In fact, we use the word sensuous to mean usually some sexually connotated thing, but the reality is sensuous literally means given to senses. And guess what? You're given to senses. You smell, you see, you taste, you get hungry. All the things that God created for a blessing and for good, Satan uses for evil. In fact, we're heading into the Christmas season and all and people are ramping up the advertisements that are out there. You know what the advertisements are appealing to? Your senses. Is Satan behind the advertisement? Probably most of it. He's, he's trying to get you to go, oh, Look at that car zipping around the corner and up and over this mountain and passing other cars and it's beautiful red. I want that. I see it. We see people, oh, you, you know what you need for Christmas? You need a Peloton. You get up at five o'clock in the morning, you live in the inner city as all the other lights are coming on. You're better than them because you have a washboard stomach and you're sweating at 5 p.m., 5 a.m. So if you just get the Peloton, y'all, you'll look like that. I know people that have Pelotons. They don't all look like that. <laughs> but that's the desire. That's what we're trying to accomplish. They put models that are good looking in clothes. So you go, if I buy those clothes, then if I drink this beer, I'll be at this cool, cozy little bar in the city with a bunch of awesome friends just going, hey, because that's what we do. If you just drink this beer, buy this car, wear these clothes, work out on the Peloton, it's all going to... And what are they appealing to? My appetite. I'm tempted. Satan uses these things against us because, remember, he's our adversary. He's against us, and it's worse than you think it is. He's at war with us. Your Christmas is coming, and I can't wait, and... And somebody was asking me, uh, you know, I, I don't have the stool anymore, but there will be a lighting of this next week, okay? Lighting of the table. But Christmas is fast approaching. I'm excited about it. But I want you to go back with me to Revelation chapter 12. In Revelation 12, it, it's understood that this is a picture in the cosmic realm of the birth story of Jesus Christ. Remember, a woman is giving birth to a son, and the dragon's trying to stop it, and the dragon can't stop it. And then the son is born. Jesus is in the world. Now he's going to try to kill the mother, 
That can't happen. So what happens? Well, here it is. Satan's at war with us. It says in Revelation 12, 17, then the dragon became furious with the woman and he went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus Christ. You and I are the ones who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus Christ and Satan is at war with us. Merry Christmas. You better watch out. You better not cry because not Santa Claus has come to the town because Satan has come to town and he's angry and he's taking shots at you. Now, listen, I'm breaking every rule of homiletics and preaching um, today because I want to give you a, a picture of Satan, the enemy. I'm not supposed to spend this much time on Satan and I'm not supposed to have this part of the sermon be longer. And I really don't want you to walk away today going, man, Satan, he's crazy. I'm scared because that's not the end of the sermon. Stick around. Don't tune out at home. Don't go get coffee. You wait 18 more minutes. Okay? (laughs) Don't do it then either because it's a cool song. Anyway, but Satan is at war with us, guys. Satan is at war. And he works in several common ways. So we have appetite. We have this desire for power. We have pride that we live by. And Satan says, and these are biblical examples. I just kind of perused the scriptures and said, okay, how does Satan work all the time? Well, he works in physical pain. In Luke 13, 16, when Jesus heals the woman who's bent over for 18 years and she straightens up, whatever that is, scoliosis, some kind of deformity, whatever. When she straightens up, Jesus says that she has been bound by Satan for these 18 years. Satan hurts us physically. Even the apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 7. He talks about his thorn in the flesh. He says, it's a messenger from Satan given to hold me down. So when I say things like cancer, mental illness, disease, COVID-19 is from Satan, what I mean is it could be from Satan. Now don't get, you know, bent out of shape. Every time I say something about mental illness or something like that, people are like, well, I don't have mental illness because I'm sinful. I don't have cancer because I'm sinful. God doesn't work that way. That's right. But we do live in a sin-filled world that the devil has some power in. And so if it's bad, it's probably from him. So you're not mentally ill because you've sinned. We have sin in the world and that drives us to mental illness. We have sin in the world and that drives cancer. We have sin in the world and that drives all the ailments we have. Physical pain is a tool. If you're hurting today, you might be in the wilderness of physical pain. That's one of the ways he gets at us. Sex is obviously another one. I don't even know if I have to write this up here, but it's, it's, it's one of the biggest ones that we face in our culture. And uh, 1 Corinthians 7, by the way, verses 1 through 5 says that if you're in a healthy Christian sexual relationship in marriage, a man and a woman for a lifetime, committed to God, if you're in that relationship, you should have sex a lot. I thought maybe I'd get an amen here this morning, but <laughs> at least from the men. Come on, man. But Paul says that regular healthy sex between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, keeps us from sexual temptation. Sex in the Christ-following life is not a new temptation. You would understand this. I know we have phones that have all kinds of sex everywhere, and we have incredible ways to access it, and it's in our faces all the time. I understand that, but remember Jesus said, if a man looks lustfully on a woman, he's committed adultery in his heart. Now, remember what women in the first century were wearing. In potato sacks that covered their entire body. If it's possible to lust then, it's possible to lust in any way, shape, or form. Sexual temptation is a reality, and it's one of the most sensual parts of our lives. 
And we've turned this sex thing into some game where people can, the lie is sex is something to play with and anybody can experience it. You can have it with whoever you want and however you want. And we have this crazy rule, I've heard this many times, two consenting adults. Well, number one, people, it's rarely two consenting adults that we're finding out in this culture. And number two, two consenting adults got us kicked out of the garden, gave us a death sentence. So forget about consenting adults. Consensual can be wrong, okay? Paul moves on to circumstances. Did you know that sometimes when plans don't go your way, Satan's behind it? He's writing to the Thessalonian church. He's saying, man, we wanted to come and bless you and be blessed by you and see you and minister to you. But 1 Thessalonians 2.18, he says, but Satan has hindered us. I think of all the, the mission trips and all the times we've lost over this last year to be with our international partners in Haiti and in, in El Salvador and in uh, um, yeah, uh, India and in uh, Africa, in Kenya. And I just think of all, don't you think Satan's a little bit behind that? Sure he is. He doesn't want us to encourage brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. Physical desires is another thing that is just kind of, it's the same as sexuality, but it's also a physical desire. James talks about how we are led away. We are enticed by what we desire physically and what we desire emotionally. And it draws us away. Can I just say something to you? I don't think this is a, a, a coincidental uh, for, for Satan. Satan used um, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to tempt his first sinners. And we are all carrying the tree of knowledge of good and evil around in our pockets, in our purses right now, probably. It's a device that gives us access to every good and evil thing in the world. And we see it. We watch the video over and over and over again. It's imprinted in our mind. And we are sickened by the conversations and the comments and the hate and all the rhetoric that goes on. Guys, I'm telling you, your iPhone might be the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and you shouldn't see everything that's on there. It's not good. It's the way that Jesus was protecting us in the garden. Why can't we know good and evil? Because you can't handle it all. Because there's some evil stuff out there. There's some evil stuff out there. He doesn't want that for his children. Same way that you protect your kids from seeing stuff that they shouldn't see. God wants to do that with you. Guys, I'm not anti-cell phone. I get it. We all have it. But I think Christians should take way more stock in how we handle it. I'm just saying, if that's for you, that's for you. If that's like, whatever, pastor, tweeting right now. Okay, well, <laughs> just take whatever you want to do with it. The final one is worldly-minded voices. Worldly-minded voices. Did you know that, that Satan sometimes uses other people's words and other people's thoughts to take us down the wrong path? He even gives us this instance in Matthew 16, 23, where Jesus says to Peter, good confession, Peter, get behind me, Satan, because you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Guys, we need to surround ourselves with people who have in mind the things of God. If you take advice from people who have in mind the things of man, you will probably be tempted to go a way that you shouldn't go. Your advice about your marriage, advice about your finances, advice about your future, advice about raising kids, you should be with other Christian people. That's why we do small groups, because we're like-minded. We, we think heavenly stuff, not perfect. We just, you know, we just use what we know about Jesus. Now, listen, I want to encourage you, if you're a Christ follower here today, to identify the way that Satan is tempting you, because I believe we all have different wildernesses. 
We have the same appetite, we have the same pride, we have the same desire for power, but Satan works in different ways. Have you ever heard someone confess a sin to you and you're like, that's so crazy, I've never been tempted like that ever. Like, I don't even care. Never tried. And I know the Lord spared me from a lot of things growing up because I was going to be a preacher, but I've never tried drugs. I just never want, when I get prescription drugs, I go wacky. So I, I just never wanted to try them. You could put all the best drugs in the world in front of me and I would not be tempted at all. There's other things that would tempt me and vice versa. But what I want to encourage you with today is, would you identify the temptation that's in your life? Because this temptation is not a one-time thing. One of the scariest scriptures in all the Bible, in my opinion, is Luke 4.13. After the temptation in the wilderness story, the Bible says Satan left him until a more opportune time. You know what that means? I'm coming back, Jesus. I'm coming back. You won this battle, but I'm coming back and I'm going to tempt you again and again and again. And so you and I need to learn where it is that Satan attempts to attack us so that we can identify the where and then we can combat against it. Because this is not where the sermon ends. The sermon doesn't end with big bad Satan, dragon falling from heaven, hates us all, winning the day. The reality is, is this, God's presence and word overcome our wilderness of temptation. Amen? The word and the presence of God overcomes the wilderness of temptation. So let me give it away here. Satan is a, he's a formidable foe. He's got lots of power. He's scary. He's scheming. He's a liar, the father of lies. He's an accuser and a reminder of how unworthy we are. But in the end, hey, Satan loses. That's the end. He's lost. He has no victory. He has no place here. And, and Jesus going into the wilderness really sets the stage for this. You might be surprised here. I want you to see this. I got it in my notes. Jesus went to the wilderness in temptation, driven by the Holy Spirit. What's up, Holy Spirit? Why are you taking me into the wilderness? The, the word that, that Mark uses here, ekbalo, literally means he threw him into the desert. The Spirit leads Jesus into the desert. Why? Because, as we have noted, there's an eternal and cosmic and spiritual battle that's unavoidable. So here at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the Spirit leads directly, Jesus, directly into the battlefield. He goes, you know what? This is going to be the battle. Let's just go face it right now because I'm not scared. I'm the Holy Spirit. And like Jesus, our real flesh and blood lives bring temptations. But like Jesus, we don't enter the battle alone. We preached this last week in baptism. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Whatever wilderness, whatever temptation you're in right now, you're not by yourself. The Holy Spirit of God lives in you. And if you'll pay a little bit of attention to him, he'll get you through it. The Holy Spirit, listen, why did the Holy Spirit say, come on, Jesus, let's go? Because the Holy Spirit is not afraid of Satan. He's got power over Satan. The second thing we see here, which is really cool and strange, is that angels minister. The presence of God is represented by the ministering angels. Now, angels are their messengers. That's what their name, angelos, literally means. They're messengers from God. So it looks like on this occasion, God the Father said, hey, go down there and minister to my son. I don't know if they gave like super cosmic spiritual IVs. I don't know what was going on. Were they wiping his forehead? Were they, were they covering him up? Were they keeping the animals away? I don't know what the angels were doing. All I know is that God sent angels to deliver and to help and to minister. Minister literally means to wait upon Jesus. So the question is, does God send angels now? 
And, and the answer is, I believe that there's scriptural evidence that he could, he can, he has, he probably will. That's why Jesus teaches us to pray this prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I suspect there are times when we're in the middle of our wilderness, we say, God, please get me out of here. Don't let me give it to the temptation that he does something in the angelic realm to keep us from that. I can't prove it, but here's what I will tell you. This scripture is really an important one that I've come to love over the years. No temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. In other words, you're not, the, the temptation you're facing is nothing new. But God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God is present by his spirit and maybe by his supernatural forces in the middle of your wilderness if you ask him, if you look for the way of escape. And there's one other lesson that I want that's a part of this whole teaching that you know I just love it because it's the word of God. It's the written word of God. And I love the written word of God. And I love that Jesus goes in this wilderness by the power of the spirit and by the presence of God's angels and by the presence of God, he overcomes his wilderness of temptation. But you know how else he does it? By the written word of God. I love this scene that's recorded for us in Matthew 1, uh, 4, 1 through 11, and Luke 4, 1 through 13. You should read them later. But, but I love how Jesus doesn't face the temptations. First temptation, he could have just looked at Satan and said, do you know who I am? I'm kind of a big deal. I, in fact, I'm the one that created all the world, and I sustain the world. I keep it all going. I'm the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Do you understand who you're talking to? I know who you are, Satan. I kicked you out of heaven. So just get out of here, fallen angel boy. I have have no desire to hear you. I have no desire. But he didn't say that. Jesus, God in the flesh, three times quoted scripture. Not your favorite verse from the Psalms. Not something super inspiring from Isaiah. He quoted Deuteronomy of all things. Three times. And he begins every time by saying, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word of God. It is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. It is written, you shall love the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Guys, I think Christians today need to start living a more it is written life. That the first things that come out of our mouth when we are tempted, when we see things, we have decisions, we should be able to say, it is written. And go to the written word of God. Because here's the deal. For every lie of Satan, there is a true word from God that overcomes it. For every lie of Satan, I said, there is a true word of God that overcomes it. It's going to be hard to make it out of the wilderness without knowing God's word, the Bible. But here's something even deeper. Um, It's impossible to get out of the wilderness of your temptation without the living word. Martin Luther wrote a famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And he paints this powerful, you know, battle against Satan. And he's armed with cruel hate. And his power is real. But in the end, what does he say? He says, one little word shall fell him. One little word will take him out. That name is the name Jesus. And Jesus is the reason we can get out of the wilderness. Don't miss it. Because I've told you a lot today about how to combat and how to answer and how to quote scripture. But ultimately, only Jesus can truly get us out of this wilderness. That's why he went to the wilderness. 
He went to the wilderness so he could be sin-free and be the perfect sacrifice to die on the cross for my sin and your sin, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. And that perfect sacrifice could take my sins away and then his resurrection could give me eternal life. That's why Paul triumphantly records in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ today, you're in your wilderness alone. You don't have the Spirit helping you. Maybe you're not prone to ask God to lead you not into temptation. You don't have the Word of God, understand. But mostly you don't have Jesus, the sacrifice for the world, leading you into the wilderness and cleansing you from your sins so that Satan has no power over you. After baptism, we often find ourselves in the wilderness of temptation. I don't like it, but it's the reality. And Satan is doing everything he can to tempt us. But the final word, according to Romans 16, 20, is that the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. The same way that Genesis 3 said, the son born to the woman will crush the serpent's head. Now through Jesus Christ, Satan is under our feet. God's grace wins. Satan loses. A few years back, my wife, Sarah downloaded an album called Rescue Story by a guy named Zach Williams. I confess, uh, it's kind of country, so it's a little twangy to me. So I, you know, anyway. <laughs> but don't tell my wife who's sitting over here right now, I've kind of grown to like some of the songs. I have to keep this image of not liking country music. But um, one of the songs that I think expresses this sermon so well is one that he sings addressed to Satan that's called under my feet. And I think he gets it from this Romans passage. It says, God will soon crush Satan under your feet. Whatever temptation you're in today, whatever you're struggling with, maybe you've struggled with for several years, whatever wilderness you find yourself in today, I want you to hear these lyrics that summarize what Mark said all these years ago in Mark chapter one. Maybe I was blind, but now I see. Maybe I was bound, but now I'm free. Maybe you need reminding, you're under my feet. Maybe you're a lie I just don't need. Maybe you should listen when I speak. Maybe you need reminding, you're under my feet. If I were you, I'd be afraid because everything you meant for guilt, the cross has meant for grace. You're under my feet. You're under my feet. Satan, you're under my feet. And if that's true, then this week we can go to the wilderness of temptation, which is going to be there, and we can do what Jesus did, come out victorious. Amen.